Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about activity monitors, fitness trackers, and wearable technology. What would be the best activity monitor to invest in? And will wearing a Fitbit give me motivation to get up and move? Or not really? Joining us is Dr. Gabe Sanders, an associate professor of exercise science at Northern Kentucky University. He will talk about his research on wearable technology and healthy behaviors and will give his perspective on activity monitors and their influence on our behaviors. And most of all, answer our questions. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks. Hello, right? Vicki Doe. How are you? I am the fine. fashion model with the red bottoms. Oh yeah, <laughs> the fashion model with the red bottom. Look, I was we'll talking about out, in a minute. I was hanging out with you. You, you like, were Whoa. beautiful, spectacular. It was a great event. We'll talk Fabulosity. About it. We'll talk about mm-hmm. it. We'll, talk about, we'll yeah. talk about that. Red bottoms. We'll talk about that, my sister. Uh. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> Today we talk about activity monitors, fitness trackers, and wearable technology and the question is do they work in changing folks to be motivated to participate in healthy behaviors will people walk more because they have their fitbit on what would be the best activity monitor to invest in and we will try and answer some of these questions for you today what we do know is that americans are still not getting the daily and weekly recommended amount of physical activity that protects them from risk factors that lead to heart disease stroke and chronic diseases and wearing a pedometer or fitness tracker can give for some folks it can give them the motivation and drive to be more active throughout the day. But the research out there is debatable. And so we have with us today Dr. Gabe Sanders, an associate professor of exercise science at Northern Kentucky University, who does research, Dr. Gabe does research on sports science and wearable technology data. In other words, he would be the person that we would ask, what's the latest with wearable fitness trackers? 
And should we invest in one? If we have one, how should we use it to get the most out of it? And so Dr. Gabe will talk about his research and give his perspective on activity monitors and how that they may alter healthy behaviors. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear him. I um, know. That's a topic near and dear to me, you know, with working out. Of course, I don't run as much as I don't run at all, but I can. St I still like to wear my fitness tracker when I plug it in. <laughs> I have a Fitbit. <laughs> okay, um, okay. But yeah, you know, I, I, I found that it, it does keep you honest. Yeah. And you do find yourself... What I found was the low number of steps that I take. You know, you think, you don't oh, you've been walking it, right. all day. And you're like, you look down and it's like, no, you haven't walked 10,000 steps. Mm, you walked so maybe, what, four? Maybe four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe four. But like we tell day, people. Five. Yeah, but like we tell people, those 5,000 steps can still help yeah. with your health and wellness. Exactly. At least they're not zero. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where yeah. you sat on the couch. Exactly. I know some people that will <laughs> run in place to get their 10,000 every day. <laughs> now, that's kind of being a fanatic. That's being but fanatic. But they all run until they get up to their 10,000. Oh, hey. Just run in place. Hey, that's, that's I, moving. Know, hey, it is. You it know, is. what they say, let it do what it do. do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 We can't wait to hear from Dr. Gabe Sanders mm -hmm. later on in this show. And so make sure you go to our resources page, www.vickidofitness.com forward slash resources. There you will find product services that will be helpful to you as you embrace a life of health and fitness. We have a variety of items on our resource list for you to check out and try. There's Spanx, there's Reebok, there's Sunbasket, Medical Supply Depot. If you, for those of you guys that don't like to get up and go to the store, even the CVS and all of that, hey, you can go right to Medical Supply Depot. They have all of the stuff that your drugstore will have, and you got it right online. Yeah. You know, and it'll be at your door, just like Amazon Prime. Right when you press that button, bam, You'll your see, doorbell will ring. You'll see the man in the brown, <laughs> the men in the brown shorts. Right there. So check out all of our stuff. But let's let's talk about the Polar Monitor. Now, Polar has a 40-year legacy of innovation in fitness wearables. Polar has been leading the way in providing a broad range of fitness products to help people of all fitness levels to reach their goals. And so I have respect for this company. Yes, I do. Because as an exercise physiologist, I was introduced to the Polar heart rate monitor oh, so that's where in the lab right, in the, right. Kent State gotcha. yes mm -hmm. at Kent State University as an exercise science student many years ago and we use their um, heart rate monitor device on our students our athletes on our uh, research participants and so we appreciate Polar's impeccable legacy for all of their accuracy and in measuring the fitness variables and outcomes. So if you all about measuring your fitness outcomes, your measurements, your heart rate, the different zones of your heart rate. When we talk about zones, that's the different intensity levels. So 60% mm -hmm. of your heart rate uh, reserve, 70%, 75%. Yeah, those are the different heart rate zones that you can be in as you work out the polar, the wearable fitness 
monitors are just out of sight. Mm. They have advanced running and multi-sport watch with the GPS. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I'm wearing, the, the waist-based heart rate. And, it, and you can, it's called the Polar Vantage M. And they are all around multi-sport. So this is cool. You know, most people think you just do your stuff for walking and running. No. Even if you're lifting weights, whatever you're doing, CrossFit, however, this has all of the capacity to monitor your heart rate and your measurements Mm -hmm. as you exercise. Yes, they're slim, they're beautiful, they're lightweight, you know, Mm -hmm. and it provides you the data that you need to improve your performance because that's why it's it's great to have this because it helps you to set goals so that you can go to the next level in your fitness journey. This is a product. There's several products on there. Go and check it out. These are some of the products that makes it easy for you to be accountable, and for you to stay on top of your fitness goals. So make sure you go and check our resources page, www.vickidofitness.com forward slash resources. And remember, when you use any of our affiliate links to buy any of our products and services on our page, you are supporting us here at Vickido Fitness. And as always, we want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you. For your support. Yes, Dee, we were talking about how we love the fall, the colors, you know, the clear skies, the crispy mornings. I kind of like it when it's a little bit chilly in the morning. It is a little bit. You know, I got to get back on my swimming track. I've kind of been a slug for about the last week and a half. And, you know, we always talking about how quick it takes to decondition. It's just so dark in the morning. And it seems like when is daylight savings time coming? Um, Pretty soon. Okay. Pretty soon. Seems like it's late. Seems like it's It's in November now. It changes so much earlier, like in March. It only seems like we have only three months of daylight savings time. Now. Now, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, it's based on probably some money, something, somewhere. You Who's know how they do. Who's <laughs> benefiting? Who's benefiting? You know how they do. Who's benefiting? That's it. Right. That's it. That's it. But, yeah, you know, I took a few days to relax and rejuvenate. And and now I'm back on the grind because, you know, in a little bit, it's going to be the holidays. Oh, it's definitely Thanksgiving. You can hear the turkey gobbling. (laughs) (laughs) And Santa Claus singing. Oh, yeah. They've already got Christmas stuff up at uh, the drugstore. Oh, I have. Several of the shelves have already Christmas stuff. I I can see that. They have bypassed Halloween and and Thanksgiving. They're just pushing that out the way. And Christmas is coming fast. Christmas is right around the corner. Yeah, there you go. How about the Butler's Arts Institute? What is it? A hundred years gala was fabulous. No expense was spared. That was the party of the day. It was great. Uh, Maybe the year. The year. I think the year. It was the party of the year. And thank you, Dee. You're so welcome. We had a great table, didn't we? We had a great table. Fun table. The food was delicious. I don't know how many courses we had. Did you see how many courses we had? I know, but then it was actually healthy. It was all very healthy. You know, and we Mm -hmm. tasted that food. I was part of the event planning group, Uh and we met over the summer. And you know, the guys that did the the catering, Uh you know, brought us the samples and showed us what they were going to serve and so forth. So it was very small portions, okay, and healthy. 
and healthy. Yeah, very small portions and healthy. And even the hors d'oeuvres were healthy. Yes. They didn't have a lot of chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> they did not have chicken wings and pizza. No. Because women had to fit in those dresses. Hey. We had, to, we had we to, had to look. Zip it up. We had to go on Vicky Doe Fitness resources page and get us some spice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tighten it up. Tighten right. Yeah. That's it. High That's and it. tight. High and tight. That's High it. High and tight. Yeah. Got to push them up. Got to push it up. <laughs> High and tight. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. And I'm it was glad for you guys a, could come. Yeah. And it was for a good cause yeah. because, you know, I always tell people, you know, the Youngstown Butler's Art, you know, their museum. All of their things that they do, they're big time. World renowned. World renowned. And they renowned. their paintings out all over the world. Any point yes. in time, somebody will come and want the one of the famous ones, Snap the Whip by Winslow Homer. Yes. Somebody will always want that in Flandersville and many of the paintings that they have at our. So we really, it's the, a diamond in the rough. Yes, it is. You know, and how about they gave us a little piece of marble? Did you get yes. that? Yes. We all got a little piece of marble. The, the butler's built with marble. I think they went, there's this place in Italy that is very famous for people, even Michelangelo back way back in the day, mm -hmm. went to this famous city in, in Italy to get the marble. And I believe a lot of the marble that the butler used came from this place in Italy. And there were two descendants of Joe Butler that were yes, there. Two yes. Two young ladies that I happened to be friends with. So it was good. Yes, it was very good. Mm -hmm. And how about the painting? You I know, know how Kevin Llewellyn. He yes. was from Youngstown. In fact, a nurse practitioner that works with me, she said, I saw your picture on Facebook with Kevin Llewellyn. And I was like, wow, you know, he had this kind of goth kind of look. But he yes. didn't sound like he looked. No, he you didn't. Know, and he had, he's worked with a lot of the Hollywood producers and mm -hmm. movies. And I think he was with Star Wars or yes. Lucas or something like that. And then he and, um, did um, some things grown. with Madonna. Yeah, he's homegrown. And he used to date, interestingly enough, Kat Von D, the, the cosmetic Lady. Yes, yes. In fact, the eyeshadow that I'm wearing is Kat Von D. So they were an item at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a great, it was a great. We were hoping that Don Gummer, who's the husband of Meryl Street, was going to come and bring Meryl Street, but that kind of fell through because he has a connection with the butler. Okay. This big sculpture that's in the front of the Howland branch, Don Gummer did. Okay. And um, came and dedicated about 20 some plus years ago. Okay. Maybe 22 or 23 years ago. And she came with him at the time oh wow so that just kind of fell through and then the other guest that we were going to have sadly rick okasic from either the i think he's from the who uh -huh. died okay and had a heart attack so that was good that they could bring mr llewellyn here and and unveil that painting yes the so, painting yeah. was was different it was different it was different it was but different. it was very unique and, and, and he's homegrown, homegrown yes boy, so, yes yeah, yes local talent so how was your week then? So, I, you know, today was a good day. I went to the Cleveland Clinic, gave grand rounds to the infectious disease group. Cleveland Clinic is just so huge. It is, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. You isn't need a GPS to get around don't there. Don't you? Don't you? But I love, I love how they have the, in the lobby part, they have the music. Sometimes you can and walk through there. Music and art. Yes. Isn't it if beautiful? there's two things that soothe the savage beast. Yes. It's music and looking at beautiful art. In mm -hmm. fact, when I, the you know the group that we belong to in Cleveland, Friends of African and African American Art, yes. they actually have a curator at the Cleveland Museum of Art, a young woman at the time we went. We went on a tour of the artwork of okay. the Cleveland Clinic. Okay. It was an hour, which was fast. I mean, they've got some great artwork there. Mm -hmm. And then you walk through, and I was walking through one day, and I was thinking, how nice it must be to work here. I know. 
you know, because mm-hmm. you really, it just calms the savage beast. So I did that today and it was well received. Saw some of my old, one of my old colleagues, Dr. Mm-hmm. Walt Tomford came. He's been retired for five years mm-hmm. and he came back specially to see me. And we kind of were reminiscing about what we used to do in the 70s, telling old war oh, stories and that's stuff. that's nice. So that's it was nice. fine. So that's what, that's what I did. Okay. Yeah. So what is going on this week? Everything, Vicky. Everything. Well, yes, we heard about the representative Elijah Cummings. Mm -hmm. He died last Thursday at the age of 68. He was young. And when when I did some research, mm-hmm. they said he had cancer. I did not know that. I knew he had had failing health uh-huh. for one reason or another, but I didn't know what the underlying problem yes, was. Yes, it was cancer. Wow. Today. today. Is it today? Because I saw something on Facebook. Mm-hmm. He's lying in repose at Morgan State. Yes. Okay. Yes. So... <sighs> there it is wow. right he was a force to be i mean he was just a gentle giant wasn't he a gentle giant he uh you know i was looking on youtube at some of the speeches <clears throat> and stuff he made that speech i forget the occasion but he was talking about how as americans and citizens we can do better we can do better we can do better yes you know, remember that speech oh yes we can, we can do better yeah, it and, was when all um, these hearings and things exactly. were going on. Exactly. We can do better. And so he I was had saying. to play that again. So, yeah, that was. A, but his wife is a doctor. Okay, I uh, didn't know that. Dr. Rocky Moore. Okay. And I heard, I was, and when I was in Cleveland last night, I heard uh-huh. there are rumors afoot that she's going to run for his seat. That's what I heard. She, too. Was running, she was running for governor, getting ready to run for governor. And when he got sick, Mm-hmm. She decided to pull back. But now that he's passed on, there's a rumor afoot that she's going to run for his um, office. Yes. And yeah. so that's going to be very interesting. Yeah. Because she will either continue the legacy and right. then also make her own legacy. Exactly. That's very interesting. Yeah. But, you know, he he married Joe Scarborough and Mika. He did. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Oh. So that was just what, last year? Yes. They wanted him. Wow. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they they also say that he was signing papers on his deathbed. Yes. That he worked up until the last minute. Mm -hmm. So So he was dedicated. He will will be missed. Yes. And the Baltimore, I'm hearing from all of my Facebook friends from Baltimore, he will be missed because he was loyal Mm -hmm. to Baltimore. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when certain people made comments about, Mm -hmm. you know, rat infested or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, he came out and he was... He was very fierce and, and strong for the people in um, Baltimore. I never saw that series, The Wire. Did you ever see The Wire that was a about bit, Baltimore? Yeah, a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah, there was a series called The Wire that was mm-hmm. about Baltimore. But, yeah, he's going to be sadly missed by his constituents. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. And a lot of other people, too. A lot of people in Congress that came out, people that oh, you yeah. wouldn't. Trey Maxine, Gowdy, yeah. you know, who you wouldn't have expected to come out and say anything, came out and was just very kind and, mm-hmm. you know, complimentary about what who could say anything nice about him i know right you all right know? yeah so maxine so, waters she yes, was saying yes, some things about yes, him as well yes, some nice things yeah. but that's what happens right yeah. we you know we all will pass yep. away one day yep. but it's about that legacy exactly. what will we leave what, what did you do while you were here and what will you leave yes yeah. indeed 
we were talking about and you brought this to our attention mm-hmm. about why you know what first all women's space yeah. walk how they made history yeah i i was <laughs> have always been interested in space uh-huh. uh, since seventh grade i was i remember seeing alan shepherd going up with the first space ship just up for a few minutes and down so we uh-huh. had two women on earth jessica Bennett and mary robinette cowell these women had a chat with two women astronauts in medium-sized space suits. It happened by accident, really, after a rocket launch aborted mid-flight, grounding two astronauts who were supposed to go to the International Space Station. NASA had to shift its schedule without thinking much of it. The agency announced that Christina Cook and Anne McLean, two women, would do the spacewalk instead. So the first all-woman spacewalk celebratory headlines declared, just in time for Women's History Month, only to turn critical when it was announced that actually the spacewalk would not happen Mm. because they didn't have fits. They didn't have outfits because NASA didn't have enough spacesuits to fit the two female astronauts. Both needed a medium. And so Hillary Clinton tweeted, make another suit. So NASA did prepare another suit, and Miss Cook and the other young astronaut made history. The other one whose other astronaut's name is Jessica Meyer mm-hmm. made history on Friday when they ventured outside the International Space Station for a six-and-a-half-hour mission. It was not the first female spacewalk ever, as our president suggested in a congratulatory call with the women as they paused from their work on the station's surface. Miss Meyer, after a four- to five-second delay, corrected his mistake. But it was the first all-woman spacewalk in more than five decades of spacewalking. Now, as we all remember, Sally uh-huh. Ride was the first woman yes. in space. Yes. And um, this article goes on to talk about some of the issues that she faced mm-hmm. as a female trying to go, go into space. Suits and, and, and so forth were a problem. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the mm-hmm. woman who, you know, back in the day there was always the voice behind the men in space now there's a woman who happens to be an african-american woman i think her name is mary robinson uh-huh. is now the mission control voice behind okay. the astronauts okay. so wow. things have come a long way they have so kudos to those young uh yes women. kudos yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's and it's interesting that you know we're still doing a lot of research yeah. when it comes to space yeah. and all that. And yeah, the article goes on to talk about, you know, the things that they looked at with women who did more sweating. And they even looked at with women when, when mm-hmm. you know, measuring things like menstrual cycles mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things that you don't think about because women aren't sitting at the table or right. not up in space. Right. So they have physiological changes and so forth, you know, because they were trying to figure out when, when the woman menstruates, is it going to go up, down, around, right. or what, you know? Yes. Or putting on makeup yes. with makeup stick. Those were the kinds of things that uh, they were looking at because the female astronauts were saying they didn't want to be seen without makeup mm-hmm. when the cameras are up there. Right. So would the mascara stick or would it be flying all over the, the space because of, you know. With the, the gravity, no gravity. No gravity. Right. So there were things that you just didn't, men didn't think about. Right. That they had to think about with having women in space. So, yes. Yeah. So, but kudos to them. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Well, you know, every time that we do our show, we try to have a health tip, and our health tip will be, because we're talking about trackers today, right, Mm -hmm. is using 
fitness trackers. You can find this on our website, Vicky Doe Fitness, written by Health Day News. And it says, fitness trackers can be great tools for improving heart health, says the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Depending on what's more comfortable for you, potential fitness trackers include pedometers, smartphone tracking apps, or wearable devices. To use a fitness tracker properly, the school suggests, number one, use the tracker daily. Number two, set healthy and realistic goals. Number three, find activities that fit into your daily life. Number four, recruit friends and family to use trackers as well. And last but not least, be accountable. I would suggest that everybody try to at least invest in a fitness tracker so that you can at least see how, you know, what was your activity level right. for the day. Don't poo-poo it until you try it. Right. And I found myself, I mean, you know, like I said, mine is down. I have a new one and I just I just got a Fitbit. Okay. And it's been on the shelf about four months <laughs> i haven't taken it out of the new box uh-huh. but i'm thinking about getting the polar one that you're talking yes, about yes definitely know, it seems like it's got more information oh I yeah to be able to use speaking of, of exercise by the way after mm-hmm. my medical school reunion mm-hmm. that was another thing that i went to but my medical school reunion two of my medical school classmates men and i are going to do a mini triathlon this oh year. that's nice yeah so i'm going to do the biking uh-huh. and one of them's going to swim and the other one's going to run okay so it's giving me motivation to get back in the gym on a regular basis and yeah, start get that working tra- out yes. and get, getting my biking and maybe swimming mm-hmm. uh, skills back together. So yeah, just so you're going to do, do any, you're going to do walk run. I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some, some, I did the Panerathon two mile and I felt really good. Okay. Sadly, I won't be here this weekend for the Youngstown Marathon. They have a 5k, a two mile and a marathon. And okay. I would go and do that. And I also, cause I'm going to be out of town for that. The peace race is coming. Yeah. Up. That's big and, time. Uh, that's big race. time. I did mm-hmm. that last year for the first time. And that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a shorter mile for the peace run, but the, that was it was really cold that yeah, day. Yeah, I remember. Too. I remember. But um, I do miss running. But I, I I'm feeling really good now. I found some medication that works a lot better in NSAID. That's a lot better. In fact, I have forgotten to take my muscle spasms, and I don't take as many NSAIDs. So it's one of those. So things. it's healing. It, it takes it, time it, it, it to does heal. Take, it, so it looks like things are kind of coming mm-hmm. together a little bit. So yeah, so the inflammation is is getting it's going better. down. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. So good for yeah, you because yeah. we want you to be back running I don't know. now. I know. I miss At least, it so even, much. even if you can't walk, run, run, walk, yeah. run, yeah, walk, exactly. run, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So our next, what's going on, was Fisher, Doctor yeah. Bernard Fisher. I thought this was really interesting. It had unfortunately happened during Breast Cancer Month. Yes. And so Doctor Bernard Fisher, who revolutionized breast cancer treatment, dies at 101. He was from the University of Pittsburgh, surgeon. His research transformed the way breast cancer is treated, bringing an end to the routine use of the debilitating radical mastectomy. He died this past week in Pittsburgh. Dr. Fisher's research, which began in the late 50s and spanned four decades, showed that early-stage cancers could be treated with simpler surgeries and that treatment with chemotherapy or hormonal drugs could extend patients' lives. In a radical mastectomy, the breast, the lymph nodes under the armpit, chest muscle, and in some cases, the ribs, it was really debilitating. And I remember mm. when I started medical school, seeing all these women who were so deformed, when you take out all the lymph nodes underneath the arm, so now you have a great big giant swollen arm. Mm. because you don't have lymphatic drainage. So they would have to wear
wear these arm compressors and lymphatic, when they swell like that, they would always get infections. And then the... the, the Where would the fluid they go? Would be, well, it would just stay in the arm. And oh. sometimes it would just seep out. Oh. That's what happens when you have a lot of lymphedema. Yes. And then the ribs would be taken out. And then I also remember a radical procedure for women who had breast cancer where they would do this horrendous surgery called hypophysectomy taking out the pituitary gland, which I used to assist in when I was a medical student working in neurosurgery. So Dr. Fisher was dogged. He prevailed against fierce resistance from academic surgeons who believed more surgery was better, while withstanding allegations of scientific misconduct that almost derailed his career. Through dozens of clinical trials involving thousands of patients, Fisher brought the scientific process to bear on medical decision-making that had always relied on anecdotal information and not tested. He said, in God we trust, he once told a reporter, all others must have data. Mm. So he has to be considered the greatest revolutionary scientist in the history of breast cancer research. So basically what he did, and I'm sure a lot of people remember that people went from radical mastectomies to having simpler lumpectomies and found that the data did not support doing these radical procedures that metastasis and all of that did not did not occur any faster or death or any of that than doing the more disfiguring procedure and he was also that one that emphasized taking tamoxifen Yes. which is a drug which my mom has been on since she was a breast cancer survivor in 1984, which uh, has kept millions of women alive. Yeah, he's from Pittsburgh. He got a bachelor's degree from the University of Pittsburgh and a medical degree from their School of Medicine. And he became chairman of the National Surgical Adjuvant Breast and Bowel Project, a consortium of academic medical centers organized by the National Cancer Institute to run large clinical trials. So he did all this great work. There was a some research that was done mm -hmm. that actually was not wasn't completely wrong, but one of the people involved in this study that he was using mm -hmm. had falsified some data. You know, we know oh, about yeah. people fudging and falsifying. Mm, fudging the data. And what happened was mm -hmm. he was criticized. I guess he knew he was criticized for not coming out fast enough to disqualify the person who presented the data. And what that did is that breast cancer just shakes women up when they think about misdiagnosis or you get getting a treatment and then all of a sudden you find out that's not what you were supposed to get. I can't tell you how many Facebook mm. friends of mine who have had breast cancer when Cokie yeah, Roberts. Roberts died and mm -hmm. she, her breast cancer was diagnosed many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. It just shook women to their core because mm -hmm. you're worried about it coming back. back. Yeah, reoccurring. So, but yes. yeah, but he survived all of that and he passed and he got a big award. He got, the, in 1985, he got the prestigious Albert Lasker Clinical Medical Research Award. At the end of this obituary, it said he was the most hated surgeon in the history of mankind. His colleagues got to the got to the Cancer Institute and vilified him, said Dr. Vincent DeVita, the former director of the National Cancer Institute. And there was a documentary, a PBS documentary called Cancer, The Emperor of All Maladies, which is a book that I bought okay. by Dr. Siddhartha Mukherjee talking about Dr. Fisher. But he did a lot of good things and saved a lot of women from having this horrible, horrible, Ooh, disfiguring surgery. I, I, could, I can imagine. It was horrible. And they were, their chests were all sunken in, and oh. the breast was removed, and lymph nodes were gone, and ribs were gone. I mean, it was just horrible, horrible, horrible. So rest in peace. Yes, rest in peace. He was 101. 101. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you know, with the epidemic going on with opioid, and we feel it a lot here oh, in Ohio, man. right? Oh, man. And so we were talking about uh, a few weeks ago about Johnson & Johnson and, and these big companies, you know, suing, mm-hmm. getting sued, mm-hmm. whether they're going to do settlement and mm-hmm. so forth. And so here's a big thing. And, and the reason why this is so important, because it's Cleveland. It says, yes. I know, right? Two hundred and sixty. Yes million opioid settlement reached at last minute with big drug companies. The deal involves large pharmaceutical distributors and Teva resolving cases that sought redress from the devastation caused by two decades. I didn't realize it was that long. Two decades. I didn't realize it was that long either. Two decades. I didn't either. Of opioid abuse. Here's an article, and it's in the New York Times. It's talking about the three major drug distributors and an opioid manufacturer have reached a $260 million settlement with two Ohio counties to avoid the landmark first federal opioid trial that was set to begin here Monday. So what they did was they hurried up and settled so they wouldn't have to have this long, lengthy trial. And maybe owe more money. That's exactly it. Who's benefiting? Exactly. Who's benefiting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the deal, which is a combination of cash payouts and donations of addiction treatments, could become a model for settlement for thousands of similar cases brought in an attempt to hold the pharmaceutical industry accountable for an epidemic of addiction that has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans. Now, Judge Dan Poster of the Northern District of Ohio announced from the bench Monday morning that the deal was struck around 1 a.m. Yeah, they made that deal. They were tired. They were tired at one o'clock in the morning. Okay, let's just get this over. All right, That's fine. It. That's it. 260 million. What else you want? Okay, you got that. You got it. You right? got that. Wear them down. In the settlement, the drug distributors, McKinson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Virgin, which distribute about 90% of all the medicines to pharmacies, hospitals, and clinics in the United States, agreed to pay $215 million to the two Ohio counties that brought the lawsuit. Teva, the Israel-based manufacturer of genetic drugs, agreed to pay $20 million in cash over three years and donate $25 million worth of addiction treatment drugs such as the generic Suboxone, which blunts cravings for opioids. Now, here's my issue. How are you going to treat drugs with drugs? It happens all the time. That's the Suboxone and Methadone. And that's been the problem, that mm-hmm. the Suboxone now has created a whole nother group of addiction. Now, I don't do pain management, and, you know, okay. please don't write vickydofitness.com right. and <laughs> say that, you know, I'm out of my area. But I have seen, I worked with it tangentially in the hospital because I came in and they were on it and so forth. And I've also seen some physicians who have gotten into trouble mm-hmm. for the Suboxone thing. So you're right. How do you treat one addiction with another one? That, but that's what happens with methadone and Suboxone, you put them on those drugs to try to get them off of the other drugs, but it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't and make it has sense. And it has created an addiction I'm sure it problem. creates some issues, yes, right? that's correct. 
This is what Weinberger has said. Weinberger said, and this is a Cleveland lawyer who mm-hmm. represents some of the Ohio counties. He said, we hope it provides a benchmark for a national resolution for other communities to have the resources to do what is necessary to abate the epidemic. This is a national crisis that demands a national solution. And so Monday settlement is the latest in a flurry of deals reached by drug companies to avoid that landmark federal trial, which was to serve as a test case for legal arguments and evidence. But here's the deal. It says, with today's agreements, the combined total so far for the two Ohio counties alone, that's Cuyahoga, which includes Cleveland yeah. and Summit, mm-hmm. which includes Akron, right. that comes to roughly $320 million, mm-hmm. okay? Cuyahoga will receive 62% of the money, and Summit will receive 38%. And recently, executives from both counties announced plans to abate the local crisis, and the money has already been distributed. In a joint statement, the three distributors, which are among the richest companies in the United States, disputed the um, county's allegations that the companies had delivered highly suspicious quantities of opioids without reporting them to the authorities. The distributors added that they expected settlement funds to be used in support of initiatives to combat the opioid epidemic, including treatment, rehabilitation, mental health, and other important efforts. Eileen Puro, the Summit County Executive, said in a statement, these settlement agreement gives us the ability to help people now. That's what's going on well, you know, with all the I lawsuits. Mean, you know, these drug companies, and they all do good things, but, you know, it takes situations like this for you to realize that, you know, uh, Who's benefiting? Who's benefiting, you know, right? And really, $260 million is it's probably not a lot of money mm-hmm. to them. Compared to all the billions and Com- billions of dollars. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at it, I mean, I've been practicing medicine for a very long time. Well, not that long, <laughs> but a long time. And I've never seen anything like this opioid mm. problem where the social issues that are associated with it of people selling their children or leaving their children mm. or, you know, dying with needles in their arms mm. or having to be resuscitated four or five times with um, Narcan mm-hmm. to where you have to worry about, you know, or some of the drugs are so strong that if you go to rescue somebody and it gets on your skin, then you knocked you out. Knocked out. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I was involved with the heroin addict addiction problem in the the 70s in Cleveland and so forth. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like this where the social issues associated with it are just absolutely mind-blowing. Everybody remembers that picture, the grandparents in the car with those kids and the kids. Everybody was out. Your parents and the grandparents were out and the kids were sitting in the car by themselves. I know. Or little kids running out in the street. So somebody needs to be held accountable. Big time. So somebody needs to be held accountable. 
So what's the latest, D? So the latest, you know, we've been following Ebola for I don't know how many years, yes. maybe four now. The mm-hmm. Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo is still a public health emergency and will be one for at least the next three months. This article came out on October the 18th, 2019, the World Health Organization said. At the same time, we believe we're on what could be a bumpy road to zero new infections. Dr. Michael Ryan, the agency's director of emergency response, confirmed new cases which peaked in April at nearly 130 a week have fallen to relatively low levels. There were only 15 tallied in the last week, which is the WHO's most recent update called encouraging. But hot spots do continue to spring up in the Congo in areas like Biakato mine area where both legal and illegal mining operations take place. Armed guards, violence and robberies are common in remote encampments where desperate men dig in open pits or barely shored up tunnels for gold, diamond, and other minerals, there is very little public education about this virus. So as of Tuesday, there were 3,227 confirmed or probable cases and 2,100 deaths since the outbreak began in August of 2018. So the fatality rate is still high at 67% despite the rollout of two treatments. The treatments, infusion of antibodies, work only if they are given soon after the patient is infected, And the World Health Organization's advisory committee declared the outbreak a public health emergency in July the 17th. Part of the reason he did so after, remember we kept talking about they weren't calling it an epidemic. They weren't calling it an epidemic. Just an outbreak or whatever. Uh But the reason he did it after hesitating was to help raise money from donor nations that seemed to be losing interest. That's a way to get their attention. Money's still a problem, said the World Health Organization's general director, and I can't even pronounce his name, Mm -hmm. Tedros Ghebreyesus, Uh said the agency had asked for $394 million for the current phase of the response, but had only received received 126 million. So they have a vaccine that's working. They're working on trying to get it distributed to more individuals, but it says that even though Ebola is a problem, they still have other infectious diseases in the Congo that are still problematic. Measles, mm. cholera, and malaria mm. still are killing a lot of people in the area. Oh, wow. One thing that we mentioned a couple weeks ago that I mentioned when uh-huh. we were on the show about is there hidden Ebola in Tanzania because you know there were people that had all these weird coming down with these weird symptoms as it appears all the people all the World Health Organization people and everybody have gone in there you know there doesn't seem to be any hiding and so it looks like Tanzania has not had any cases of Ebola okay so that's good to know and the other thing is that the Ebola vaccine now has a name it's called Ervibo it sounds like everybody doesn't it So the Ebola vaccine now is called Herbaddy, Ervibo. That's a way to remember it. Ervibo. Okay. So it's moving closer to licensing, and hopefully we won't have the kind of problem that we had in Liberia and Guinea and Sierra Leone four years ago when they had, we had that um, horrific outbreak then. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, 
adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Our topic today, we talk about activity monitors, fitness trackers, and wearable technology. The question is, do they work in changing folks to be motivated to participate in healthy behaviors? We will talk with Dr. Gabe Sanders, an associate professor of exercise science at Northern Kentucky University, about his research on wearable technology, and he will give us expert advice on what we should do, what we should look for in a fitness tracker, and how to stay motivated to practice a life of health and wellness. So let's listen to our interview with Dr. Gabe Sanders. Here with us today is Dr. Gabe Sanders, an associate professor of exercise science at Northern Kentucky University. As a researcher and sports scientist, Dr. Sanders has consulted with professional organizations and other universities to research and analyze sports science and wearable technology data. Now, Dr. Gabe is also a key blogger and exercise programming consultant for us here at Vicky Doe Fitness. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and we certainly, we certainly appreciate his work. And so... Yeah. He is here today to discuss his research about activity monitors, trackers, and how they alter healthy behaviors. There are just so many different perspectives on whether these fitness trackers work in motivating consistent, active, and healthy lifestyles. And so he is here to help us figure that out and to discuss if they really work. So how are you today, Dr. Gabe? I'm doing great, Becky. Thank you. And Dr. D, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Welcome. Yes, welcome, welcome. I want to tell everyone that we go way back, right? (laughs) Yeah, we do. We do. It's been, it's just crazy how fast time has went, but... I I know. Way back to Kent State. Kent State University, the exercise science and physiology days, right? Absolutely. And I actually remember, you know, just... When we first started talking, we were in San Francisco at a conference, I think. Yes. And just, yeah, this seems like yesterday. Seems like yesterday. Wow. Wow. Dang. You remember all the way to San Francisco. I remember. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It was, uh, that was my first time out in San Francisco. So, I mean, that was memorable. But I, just, I, I can tell you, like yesterday, we were at a... I don't know, I think eating crab legs or something like that with a whole big group of us. Yes, it was. I remember. Was Dr. Jake with us too? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and somebody out of the blue just came up to the table and kept pointing at me. I remember now talking about, yeah, I saw you in Prague. I was like, uh, no. (laughs) That would be a no. (laughs) 
I know I'm international, but not <laughs> not, <laughs> not Prague. <Funny. laughs> yes. But yeah, so we go way back and those are, I just get a, just a tickle because I'm like, ooh, I knew Dr. Gay when he was in the cage working out. And now you're working out and doing all kinds of research and stuff. And so I want you to tell folks how that you decided, because we always do that, right, Dee? We ask people, how did you go about choosing your career, and especially in the exercise science and sports science? So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I always had an interest in sports, and then that led to me learning about exercise science in college. And then, quite honestly, the getting my PhD was just kind of a fluke thing. It was nothing I ever intended on doing, but I ended up getting to Kent through a a mutual friend. Then when I got to Kent, I, you know, got hooked up with Dr. Barkley, who was doing physical activity research in in children at Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was using accelerometers and some technology to monitor activity. So that's when I really got exposed to the, the tech side of monitoring activity. And so that was in, I think, 2009 is when I started. Okay. That really just led to um, what I'm doing now, which is really using a lot of the similar technology with accelerometers, GPSs. So now all this wearable tech, whether it's wrist-worn, whether it's like heart rate strap type chest electrodes or some of the monitoring devices we use in athletics, they actually, it's a, it's a GPS, accelerometer, magnetometer, and some other types of technology all wrapped into one that they wear on their upper back in between their shoulder blades. Oh, okay. And it, it, it'll give you GPS data. It gives you what's called inertial movement units or inertial, inertial movement analysis. Okay. So it'll tell you changes of direction, whether it's acceleration, deceleration. So the technology has really come a long way since 2009, but um, the actual like implementation of analyzing the data really hasn't changed a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of, you know, it's interesting because I started with childhood activity and now I've, you know, went and jumped into sports. But the analysis of the data is really, if I didn't have that background working with Dr. Barkley, I probably wouldn't have been able to do what I do now. So it's been really kind of cool to be a part of that kind of transition, not only for my own research, but to see how athletics and teams are starting to use that really at the, to, to improve performance and to help reduce injuries or keep athletes safe and healthy. Yes, by using those monitors. And when you say Dr. Jake Barkley, I always have said, you know, he, he's been up here a few times with Dr. Andrew Lepp, mm-hmm. right, D? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. talking about activity and the monitors. It's interesting to see that he passed that idea of research on to you. And then he's he's has always been the best when it comes to stats and getting that data together. He's a guru in that, right? Yeah, yeah, he's really good and, you know, I've just been able to take what I've learned from him, you know, really, you know, take it as far as I've taken it, which is, you know, just doing some more higher level analyses and being able to do different breakdowns with the data. It's been it's been really cool, you know, and I've you know learned a lot since I started just with the uh, sport analytics type data. Um, it's been about five years ago. It's it's, it's pretty fun, pretty interesting. Well, that's awesome. Wow. I'm just, uh, 
I don't even know where to begin. I guess. Mm-hmm. So do you focus more on do you focus more on people that are already athletes or people that are up and coming, or how do you compartmentalize the individuals that you work with? Well, so at, at NKU, as far as the athletes, we just focus on the student athletes who are um, part of you know men's and women's basketball and uh, women's volleyball. We also do some stuff with women's and men's soccer. But to answer your other question is like I am currently collecting data. Uh, so I basically took this whole concept of athlete monitoring. So athlete monitoring, what you do is you monitor an athlete every single day throughout the whole season. So they wear this technology for every practice in every game throughout the whole season. Okay. So it just made me think like, well, if we're getting this type of data on athletes, like let's try to start to see what, you know, the average person in college is doing. So mm-hmm. we are finalizing data collection, looking at activity monitoring and college adults. It's interesting. The reason I chose college adults was because that's kind of a big transition in life between, you know, the fact that you're, you're developing as a person, as an individual, you're creating habits on your own, mm-hmm. that you're no longer under your parents' household usually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and good behaviors and bad behaviors can both begin and solidify in college. Mm-hmm. So, um, we did 30 or doing, I'll have 20 subjects when it's all said and done, but we did 30 days of continuous monitoring in both male and female uh, college students. Pretty interesting. So one of the things, again, I don't have all the data analyzing everything, but, you know, we're, we're seeing some pretty cool things just as far as what the data is giving us. I mean, we get, when do they fall asleep? When do they wait? Uh-huh. Um, what are their daily steps what's their average heart rate and then we can also look at how long do they exercise what was their intensity and everything by using this wrist-worn technology any hints about any outcomes (laughs) the only thing i I can tell you is just some um anecdotal stuff and that is just that i asked the participants and i'm just like so did you use the watch a lot because they're not like all the subjects i didn't just specifically recruit exercise or fit people it was just college adults and in fact i wanted a a, a very wide range of individuals mm-hmm. both fit unfit exerciser non-exerciser um because i just wanted to get be able to break the data up later to see you know what the difference is but I, I did ask them so did you end up checking your behavior did you end up looking at your steps or did it change at all and a lot of them i don't have the actual numbers or anything but most of them are like yeah i actually did start looking at my 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 steps and um, I started to really pay attention to how long am I exercising or what is my intensity. So it, it brought awareness to them. Okay. Hmm. Um, and I thought that was a step in the right direction with, with understanding how this can influence behavior. So, you know, there's a lot of regular folk like me. I'm, I guess I'm regular to a, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you work out. Yeah. You do work out. But I love wearing the monitors because you can at least put some type of um, goal and say, okay, yeah. I want to at least work 15% or 20% from the last time last month, a little bit more. So it's more like a scoreboard that keeps you edging up and edging up to higher goals. What do you think? I agree. Um, and it, I do that myself. Like I'll look at my, my steps for the day. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's something interesting too, is I noticed that like Sundays, almost all the Sundays, there was like hardly any activity for any of the students. Really? 
Yeah, so that that's interesting. But uh, no, for for me, and I think a lot of them, you know, it's, it is a number. It's an objective number that you you can actually be like, oh my gosh, I got to get up and move, or I, I can't. I, I've only had three thousand steps all day. Like, yeah, let me get up. Right, there. it does motivate you, know, you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a way to quantify and be objective about what you do on a day in and day out basis, and it, it's cool because like with the app and everything that is associated with any of this wearable technology, I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll, any day that you wear it, it tracks. You can go back and look. It's, it's interesting, too, because the stuff that we used also tracks sleep. And, um, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of a goal of the research is to identify if physical activity behavior during the day influences sleep behavior at night. Mm-hmm. And um, it may not in college adults. You know, they stay up late, their schedules are off whether they're studying, whether they're hanging out with friends, or whatever they're doing, the actual activity during the day may not influence sleep, or it may. I mean, I, it, that's, that's one of the things that we're interested to see. I'm curious, are there any things that girls do better than guys and boys? <laughs> you know, I'm real competitive. I'm better, super competitive. I would say there's probably a lot of things. <laughs> Uh-oh. Just anecdotal of some of the, uh, you know, the, the things that I've seen just from more I wouldn't even say, no, I couldn't even say that because it's really, you know. Well, the reason I bring it up, Dr. Gay, the reason I bring it up is that, you know, there's always been this sort of stereotype myth and stuff. And, it, you know, the military has kind of brought that out. You know, they kept men and women separate and, you know, women weren't able to to do this. They weren't able to carry this. They weren't able to have the physical fitness and this, that, and the other. And a lot of those myths have kind of been debunked where the women have performed just as well as the men. So I was just kind of curious with your data, have you started to see any commonalities? You know, it's hard to say from the the study that I'm collecting data on right now. Mm -hmm. I will tell you this, that the the, the female athletes are much, much better at um, being consistent in Mm. the things that we ask of them Mm. on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and how they're monitoring or what they're reporting. Mm -hmm. It just, I don't know. I don't know if it's guys right now. I don't care. (laughs) I don't know. know. Right. um, You know, so it's interesting. I don't do a lot of comparisons between Mm -hmm. the men and women Mm -hmm. for science data Mm -hmm. because it's just different. They have different practices, so you just can't compare it. But it's interesting. We did have a study published the journal sports science we looked at like three days of average workloads that they did and how that actually influenced some of their neuromuscular performance you know one of the biggest things that was that influenced neuromuscular performance in their ability to jump and be physically ready to perform was uh, weight fluctuations mm-hmm. so the it was a girls basketball team this is throughout a full season mm-hmm. so it wasn't even weight increases or weight decreases it was a combination of the, the athletes who fluctuated in either in a positive or negative direction um either gained weight or lost weight were had the toughest time or were the least ready to perform more often than not and um there's also fitness level also played in, uh, a factor into that as well I, I thought that was interesting that it really comes down to energy intake so when you break mm-hmm. that down like they were either eating too much or drinking too much or they were dehydrated and not eating enough, but that goes a long way. So I think that would really be telling for even people in the general population. Yes. Like, you're going to feel more tired. I mean, it kind of makes sense, too, but you're going to feel really tired whether you're eating too much mm-hmm. or you feel really tired if you're not if eating, eating enough. enough right. Oh, wow. Stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's 
pretty interesting in that regard. And that's the type of stuff I think that still really needs to be done in the general population mm-hmm. with the average Joes like, like me, <laughs> <laughs> how these daily workloads in combination with nutrition and sleep mm-hmm. and all these other factors. I mean, it's, it's, it's very multifactorial and it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but I think that's the key is looking at all these different factors and trying to come up with good sound with that said, you know, that's why we always, when we use for the regular Joe Smo and then for us that's out here in the um, community doing exercise programming and so forth, we always talk about tracking. You got to track some way, even for accountability and for you to see and your coach or whoever you're working with to see if you are touching on all of those key factors, which would be, are you moving? Are you eating how you should? And your rest, because that's important as well. But these these monitors uh, are really great because they help. But back in the day, we still, even without the monitors, we still, and I still have people write stuff down. Even if you have a tracker, still track and write things down for accountability so what are your thoughts on that i think i think that's really key and that's you know whether you write it down whether you are using like my fitness pal to monitor your nutrition um being honest about it that way you can see it's just one of the things like seeing is believing right so like if you can see you can believe it so like it also helps you understand your calories like you're being honest about your caloric intake more often than not when people are like oh i eat healthy i do this and that you were to have them be really objective and write down what they were actually entered into my fitness pal or write down their activity or record it with a wearable. Like, it may not be what they think, good or bad, I don't know. But especially when it comes to calories, more often than not, you consume more calories than what you think. Right. Especially the sugar intake that, that, that um, is really detrimental to any type of weight loss or weight management. That's everything that we try to do with the athletes is behavior modification through tracking. And it's just putting a number on it, putting some, whether it's perceived exertion, uh, a very subjective nutrition score, anything like that. But that way we can refer back to that with them. Be like, see here, you reported this. This is what your performance was like. Or this, here's what you were reporting, and then here's what happened. You had an injury or something like that. So it's, it's very essential athletic performance and I think when you're working with somebody and trying to help them lose weight or be fit or, or you know just helping them get into a better health overall. So these these I'm looking at Vicky's arm over here with one of these expensive uh, tracker things and then me with mine that doesn't fit right now and I don't have it on so what would you say I mean what's your wish list well I guess that's wrong what's your ideal tracker for the average Jill yeah, you know, no, if, you, if so, you can't afford an apple, what's next best? Whatever you use, stick to that. Don't compare what you're using to somebody else because mm-hmm. they're all different. Mm-hmm. Not better, not worse, but different. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wear a polar, polar M four thirty. So, I is what I was saying is that like whatever you do, just don't compare it to a different device. Mm. Stick to one. But like I use a Polar M430, mm-hmm. which is just a number. It, it has pulse, heart rate. Fitbits are good if you like Fitbits. 
That's what I have. Or, uh, Apple Watches are great if you like Apple Watches. It really doesn't matter. Just they will record or accumulate data differently. Mm-hmm. So like your activity, if you wore an Apple Watch and a Polar Watch on the same day, it, it would have slightly different numbers because the, the algorithms and the technology is a little bit different. So and, and go with what works for you. So I like the Polar because I like it to be more fitness-based. So like when I'm mm-hmm. um, recording my exercise sessions, like I get very um, – detailed heart rate data okay. as, it, as, it, as it accumulates. It'll tell me how much time I accumulated in different heart rate zones, mm-hmm. in five different heart rate zones, where some mm-hmm. of them, they may only give you two zones or mm-hmm. three zones. Mm-hmm. You know, the Apple Watches, here's a pretty interesting story for you, uh-huh. is that I work with a, a gentleman who um, actually, he had a heart attack, and his Apple Watch, you know how they can do EKGs? Yes. They actually sent the doctors the EKG from the Apple Watch prior to him going to the hospital. So they were able, his wife is a doctor, but like he was able to detect that he had a a mild ischemia or had ischemia of some type based on the Apple um, EKG. That's that's cool. That is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's and, pretty cool. Um, so as far as which one's best, I, there really isn't one that's best. It's just some they're all different. And it's really just identifying which one would be best for you. Mm. I think the Fitbit is good if you're just interested in keeping track of your activity and maybe general heart rate. If you're more exercise and really into fitness, I think Polar can yeah, be a good one. and one of the better alternatives. Mm-hmm. You know, if you like to have everything on a smartwatch and a lot of features and have you know, the that's EKG awesome. and stuff and the Apple is mm-hmm. probably the best bet. Are any of them waterproof? I mean, like I swim a lot now. Are any of them waterproof or? I, well, there's I two words, the waterproof water. and yeah, the Polar, the one that I'm but wearing. All it, the, um, is, but I, you know, is, um, I, you can bathe with these on. I'm pretty sure the Apple ones anymore probably are so. water resistant yeah. as well. Yeah, water resistant um, is the word, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't for. think they ever say waterproof. Right. No. Um, yeah, I knew there were two different types of words. I think as long as you don't go down to like, Maybe it's 10 feet yeah. under, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. But don't quote me on that. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. Yeah, I know. But this is so interesting, you know. With all this said, then, you think that, you know, because there's controversy on whether the activity monitors work or not. What do you think? You think that you have to already be active for your monitor to be a motivating factor or can someone that's always been sedentary be motivated will will a sedentary person that's wearing a fitbit will that fitbit on that person's arm change behavior so that they're motivated to be more active or do you think they have to already be an active person what's your thoughts on that yes so i think I think if you just go buy a piece of technology to search for some magic motivation, you're probably going to fall short. But, like, I do think they are good to motivate. But I think for that, the person who is not active, Mm -hmm. I think that there has to be a little bit of an educational piece to go along with Mm -hmm. the device. And, and, And what I mean by that is that, like, this person who is not active, they aren't used to wearing anything, they aren't used to tracking their activity, they really don't even know what they're looking at, right? Right. I think it's best for them to know, like, 
here, go, just go, just put this on, go wear it for a couple of days, then come back. Let's look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then you educate them on yes. this. And these were really low activities. Mm-hmm. This type of activity is not very healthy for muscles. It's not very healthy for your heart. So this is the type of activity level that you would want to strive for each and every day. And if you go above that, like, so if you can create like benchmarks or thresholds and, and, and you know, help them understand this is what the numbers mean i think you can help modify behavior but i think for the fitness person mm-hmm. going and buying a new watch every year the newest latest and greatest helps motivate you or whatever then why not do it go for I mean, it you know you, you spend x amount of money on all these other things mm-hmm. why not spend if, if a couple hundred bucks a year every now and then is going to be what motivates you to get engaged in activity and exercise, then I think it's all worth it. Wow. So (laughs) I'm trying to figure out, go on Amazon Prime and find a polar tracker. Let me tell her what to do. Go to our resources page at vickidofitness.com forward slash resources and go on and touch that that affiliate link and get you you a polar. There you Mm -hmm. go. There you go. See, there it is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I gotta so get I, I one. Really, you know, I don't think the technology is like a magic pill, but mm-hmm. I do. If it motivates you, then I mean, mo- I mean, we all struggle with motivation from time yeah. to time. Mm-hmm. And 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 if that is what sparks it, then I just I'm I'm a I'm a proponent of it. Well, tell me now. In closing, you know, people have listened, and we have pretty much said that get you an activity monitor because it is the way to go to not only help you to be accountable, but help you to kind of know what you're doing and what you're uh, striving for as a scoreboard. So what are some key things that you encourage folks to do to keep motivated so that they can live and practice what we talk about all the time, right? A life of health and wellness. What are your key things that you would suggest? Yeah, so I, I just think, I think short-term goals are great. I think that avoids, obviously you always want to have your long-term goal. It's just after like every month, I would try to find something new to focus on Hmm. because I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of it Mm -hmm. just as much as anyone, is that if you are just like, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds, oh, I just want to do this. Like if your whole goal is just exercise and exercise and exercise, I mean that you're going to have ebbs and flow with your exercise more often than not same with your nutrition. So it's really just a matter of reestablishing goals on a a monthly or weekly basis to try to maybe just focus on one thing at a time. Always try to be consistent with your nutrition and your exercise, but maybe, you know, one month you're like, I'm just going to focus on trying to do high-intensity exercise two Mm -hmm. times a week. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, like, the next time it's like, okay, I'm going to try to just focus on my strength training. So it's just like over time, maybe – or like nutrition, like I'm cutting sugar out of my diet for one week. Mm-hmm. And then, you know what I mean? So you just go from there. I, I think that's a real key into this whole health and wellness piece for so many people, myself included. Does it help to keep um, a diary or write it down? or? Yeah, so that is, yeah, like we, we alluded to. So mm-hmm. when, I, when I, I just always think of my fitness pal or, you know, having a workout, a structured workout, whether you created it yourself, and you know what to do or whether you had a trainer do it or you get the program from, from you, Vicki. I just think that follow the program, but then as far as nutrition, diary, write it down. Mm-hmm. Whether you write it out on pencil and paper or whether mm-hmm. you put it into an app, 
Um, and you can always go back and see it because then too, you get to know how many calories you get, how much sugar have you consumed? When did you eat that type of deal? But, and as far as your workouts and fitness and like, you can monitor, like, so I don't write anything down cause I keep a note in my head of what I did and what I do. But like, if it helps you to write it down, like what, what was your max heart rate for that exercise session? How many, you know, how many minutes did you exercise at a higher intensity? So that if you're wearing the wearable technology, it'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of the apps that are associated with that too. They can go back and see it. So maybe you just create a goal, like a heart rate goal. Mm-hmm. Like I do that. Some days when I go and work out, I'll be like, okay, I want to accumulate five minutes in my heart rate zone five. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, I know what my heart rate needs to get to. And I know what that feels like to accumulate that type of time in zone five. Or maybe I'm like, I'm doing a lighter intensity day, but I want to make sure I get this much time in a certain heart rate zone. So yes, I, I just, and, and again, write it out if you need to, if that's what helps. It's writing it out and having it on paper or in an app is the best thing you could do. Mm-hmm. I, just one last quick question. And yes. this may be a yes or no answer. Do you know anybody that's doing, since we have such a huge childhood obesity problem in this country, are the trackers sort of the answer or for, for children, for, from parents so to children? That is a, that's Any a great thoughts? question. And it's one that I don't know the answer to, mm-hmm. but I, I can tell you this much from having kids myself at this age with technology. I really think, the big thing is just putting the devices down, putting the devices down. It's easy as a parent. I'm guilty of it mm-hmm. sometimes. Like you're exhausted, you're tired. You let your child watch YouTube kids, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrible. You're like, are, are you serious? But yeah, mm-hmm. I, mean, I reach points like that where I'm like, I need a break. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the moment that we always, no TV, no device, we force our child to go play outside. Yep. Um, and he's a boy. He's three and a half. My daughter is, she's just a little baby, but um, when we have my son go out and play or play with blocks or do something that he has to like think and use his mind, he's, he, his behavior is different. Mm, interesting. So like not only that, I found that like the more that he's watching TV or the more that he's on a device, he'll say to us like, can I have a snack? Can I oh. Like, it's crazy, but the moment we put that down, like, he can be outside playing and ask us for a snack. He could be playing with his blocks or um, his toys, and he never asks us for a snack. But like, the, it's almost like they get bored and they get like angsty. And, wow, um, it, it's really crazy. That's pretty know. interesting. Just, yeah, being in that fitness and activity and knowing some childhood physical activity research from from when I used to do it, it, it I, I try to observe those things. And I, mm. I, my my wife and I talk about it all the time, and that's one of the reasons that we, you know don't start the day off with letting him watch TV is yeah. just because of those types of behaviors. It's, it's really fascinating. I would say then that it'll be nice if we can do more of, and they're trying to, to do more children activity in the schools. You know, I always keep talking about how we need to have more physical activity and wellness oh, yeah. in our schools. Start young. Yeah. And I think, I think that I, I, I I know some teachers who teach young kids, and sometimes they, they talk a lot about the behavior issues. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, what do you expect when they're forced to sit? So right. Like, That's true. If they can move and move, do movement-based learning and all yeah. this other stuff, I think we can see a, a real big difference in these 
young kids. But um, I agree. Like the physical activity is is so important. It's critical. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It helps your mind. I mean, there's plenty of research to yeah. show the benefits. If, if even if you break it down physiologically, mm-hmm. all that that blood flow and different um, hormone levels and enzymes are all mm-hmm. much more active in an active body than what they are in a sedentary body. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, at the end of the day, being physically active for our young folks, it opens up their mind for thinking and analytical things and cognitive learning. So it improves yeah. it improves their learning performance, not sitting up there. They might do a little better on their SAT <laughs> yeah. if they get out there right. and, and run a little bit. True. Get that blood flow, yeah. right? Absolutely. Mm. It, 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 it makes a difference for sure. And it does, especially with little kids. Big time. Yes, it does. Yeah, Dr. Gabe, we are so happy this that you This is wonderful. Came. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a fun yeah, chat with you. good. Yes. And how can people get in touch with you and to read more about your research and your work? I do have a website called allinstrength.com. That's A-L-L-I-N strength.com. And I just, that's just kind of my consulting page, but I do have uh, a research page there that, that lists and gives links to my published research that I've done in the last few years. I'm also on Twitter at Gabe J. Sanders. They can reach out, you know, message me, email my email. Information's on my website and stuff too, shoot me emails. My work email and everything is on the NKU website, but my work email is sandersg1 at nku.edu. So whatever means are best for an individual that can get a hold of me. All right. Great. And thank you, Dr. Gabe. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Now, this ends our show, D. So do you have some tips that we should think about? It was great listening to him. I think one of the take-home messages is that, for me, is any tracker is better than no tracker. Right. Go out and get a tracker. And don't compare the tracker that you have to somebody else's tracker. Mm-hmm. At least just get started with a tracker. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. You can always... You know, you can always advance to a more advanced one, but it's just getting your foot in the door and using some of the features that it has on it to get yourself started. So I like that. And I also like, I love the research aspect, looking at men and women and, Mm -hmm. you know, their uh, capabilities and the, you know, how the tracker fits in with that. So it was really good. It was nice. It was really good. And it's just nice to see how all of us, us having our roots, like you say, mm-hmm. at Kent State University, yeah. how we all have branched out and we're kind of doing our thing. Right. And it's great to touch bases and, and see. Well, Kent State what is we're no doing. shabby school. I mean, let's just That's face it. it. You know, they have been on top of their game since I was in college. Big so, time. No, with Kent, education, education and research. Right. Mm-hmm. Education and research. Kudos to you guys, mm-hmm. products of Kent State. We were glad that Dr. Gabe Sanders came on the show. But Dr. Gabe Sanders, He does writing for us for our website. So you can look at all of his articles that he has written. He's also has helped me behind the scenes with my exercise programming for our program, our step-by-step weight loss program. And by the time you hear the show, you'll be hearing more about our launching because we're right around the corner to that. It's going to be the beginning of a new year. New resolutions, 
Yep. But we still have. Now is the time to tell people to. We got time. We still got time. We still have time. But I think now is the time for us to start that talk about not piling plates high and high and and deep. High and deep. Because the (laughs) holidays are coming, as we mentioned. The holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. That's it. Yeah. And as always, for more information, go to our website, www.vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.